Bloody Elbow presents the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey everybody, welcome again to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you guys a little early, apparently. I set this thing for like seven. I figured the main event would go really honestly. Uh, we're coming to you guys straight from the end of UFC Vegas 71, Pavlovich versus Blades. And the real problem here, much like the rest of us over at Bloody Elbow, is I picked per- I- I pick Curtis Blades to win. And so, ha- having picked Curtis Blades, I figured, well, he's going to win by decision. Uh, you know, starting at seven, right? <laughs> yeah, no. So, well, first of all, everybody picked Blades. Well, most people picked Blades. It the was 50 50 odds- on the poll before. The but, odds favored Blades. Odds yeah. favored Blades to get a finish, a TKO finish. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little surprising. Um, but man, poor Curtis Blades. He is just in the wrong division for his skill set, I got to say. Yeah. I mean, too, uh, the unfortunate thing is that he's suffering the way that so many fighters suffer when they try to improve their game and get better. Just a message out there to all the fighters in the world. Don't try to get better. You should never try to improve. That's a fool's errand. Um, well, that's that's, weak. that's below middleweight. It, it, it's weak-minded, I think, really. It's just the thing. Is it like, if you're wow. trying to improve, that, that that shows a lack of self-belief. Um, but the thing with, like, you know, Blades has been spending all this time working to improve his boxing game and get better and become a a better fighter and to do all this stuff that uh, you should do as a, as a fighter. And if you go by and you watch all of his fights recently, he's pretty much tried to kickbox for the entire first round of each of his fights. Going back to Alexander Volkov, I think maybe that was the last time. Let me see. When, when was the last time Curtis Blades got a first round takedown? Maybe it was Rosenstreak, actually. I think he did. He, I think he took Rosenstreak down early. Yeah, he did. Okay, so that really destroys my argument. But for a lot of his recent fights, Dowkaus, Aspinall, Lewis. Um, well, I think, I think what you're trying to say is Curtis Blades was working on his striking, but wasn't working on his striking to set up his takedowns. Yeah, he was spending a lot of time striking in a lot of his recent fights. He was spending whole rounds on his feet trying to get people comfortable and into the idea that, oh, this is a striking match, and that was the setup for his takedowns, was get people just thinking about striking. Right. And you saw in this fight against Pavlovich, like, there's a point where he realizes, oh, this is going really bad for me. I should probably not be striking anymore. And he tried to take him down. It was just a totally unset-up takedown. He just kind of reached down for Pavlovich's hips, Pavlovich just shoved him away. That was the end of it. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's one or the other. There's no phase shifting going on. And that sucks indeed. because if if he was someone like a Phil Davis who could use his striking, hitting like lead body kicks to double legs, you know what I mean? Like I'm not saying necessarily that a heavyweight, but at least learn to set up your takedowns with things other than just movement. Like you got yeah. to yeah, you got to set things up with something other than just movement. And, you got, I mean, and heavyweight is just, it's a really hard division to wrestle in. There's a reason that so few fighters come up that division as top-tier takedown artist wrestlers. It's because it really is a 
it's a place where these guys are huge. And if they sprawl you out, and if they if you don't get that takedown, the costs of being in trouble of getting getting having gotten close to somebody is really high. So yeah, I mean we a lot of us picked blades, but once once he's, I, I feel like once we saw him landing counter shots on Pavlovich and Pavlovich just walking through and like keeping on throwing, that was when it was like, okay, this is a really bad sign. And I really screwed up with my pick here. Yeah. Once, well, at first I was like, okay, Blades, you're landing some real quality shots here. Okay. Here comes the takedown. Here comes the takedown. No takedown. He's just like, oh, I'm finding success on the feet. I'm just going to keep tuning people up on the feet. I'm just going to stand. And it's like, that's a loon game. Like it's a time bomb waiting to happen. And with Pavlovich, like the dude is just a monster. He's going to throw punches and bunches and you can't just cover up. So trading in the pocket, you know, for 25 scheduled minutes is probably not going to favor most people. No. Blades up. (laughs) He fucked up. He he came out uh, too one-dimensional, wasn't working to set up his takedown at all. I don't know why, but screwed the pooch. And Pavlovich, man, I'm I'm so glad he exists. You know, he's he's just this surging contender. And and now... Yeah, I mean... He's so fun. the, 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 The sad thing that has to be said, right? The The thing that we're all thinking and we don't want to say aloud because it'd be really mean. And Curtis Blade seems like a very nice guy. Because man, isn't it awesome that Sergei Pavlovich just shut the door on Curtis Blade so that we don't have to watch a Curtis Blade's title fight? <laughs> I'm like, not gonna go sign on that. No, you wanted to see Curtis Blade try and like grind the hell out of out of John Jones for for 25 minutes. Dude, I don't give a fuck who Jones fights. I'm watching. I don't I, care well, okay, if it's Pavlovich. But, I don't care if it's Blades. Like it doesn't matter. Okay, in, in your in your world of not caring, don't you care just a little more about John Jones versus Sergey Pavlovich? No, because I believe that's ever going to happen. <sighs> I don't. John Jones is going to retire after Stipe. I'm ninety nine percent sure. Okay. Okay. That's fine. He retires after Stipe, but then so we get Sergey Pavlovich in a title fight for the empty belt, and who does he fight? That's the question, right? Uh, I don't know. They'll probably do Cyril Gone or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That would be that would be the move. Is that John Jones fights Stipe, retires, and then Pavlovich fights Gone? That's my crystal ball, anyways. I've been all right once or twice or twelve times. At least today, yeah, well, anyways. <laughs> we don't we don't we don't count the L's. You only count the W's. That's how you know that's how you stay on top. You know, you, well, you start focusing on uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh. I count the draws. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's provocative. It's win or learn here. <laughs> so all told rough rough night for Curtis Blades, Sergey Pavlovich, um yeah, he's he is the man of the moment, and I just wish that there was something. I wish the path ahead for him at heavyweight was clearer. You know, I wish that the there was just a lineup right there. I mean, guess what? I really wish is that Francis Ngannou was still here. because I, I know Francis Ngannou would have fought Sergey Pavlovich hands down, and that would have been a banger. Yeah, I would have been nervous. I would have been scared for that fight in the best yeah. way. Oh, well. Yep. Didn't happen. Won't happen. Sad days. But this fight, this was pretty fun. All things considered, this was the most fun way this fight could have gone. 100%. Right? <laughs> 100%. You know, and it's, I, I hate laying praise as the next guy. Um, so I guess in that regards, I'm yeah, you, you can't be talking about, oh, I don't care who John Jones, I don't care any of this, and then you can't come out and turn, fight, you yeah. can't, I know, but you can't <laughs> turn around and be like, and then I hate Lay and Pray, I'm not mad about, you know, like, we we all hate Lay and Pray, that's my point. Yeah, so I'm saying, this is the best case scenario, so yes, yeah. I'm happy it panned out this way, not because Curtis Blades isn't getting a title shot, like, that's a weird, weird hate 
I'll say. It's not uh, hate. It's it's the it's the reality upfront flip side of the being of hating lay and pray. I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna say out front. If I hate lay and play, I'm glad glad that Curtis Blades didn't get a title shot. Sure. Okay. That's fair. But oh. I, I mean, when when Curtis loses, it's spectacular. It is. It is spectacular. So. He's got that going for him, but that's not really. I mean, it's 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 really kind of the Eddie Alvarez thing, right? Although Eddie yeah. Alvarez was spectacular when he won too, but yeah, and he was a champion in two yeah. two uh, leagues promotions. Yeah. All right, let's jump down to the co-main event here: Bruno Silva, Brad Tavares, and for a couple of minutes, I felt really good about picking Brad Tavares in this fight. <laughs> right as here he looked sharp man yeah he, he was he looked like he was the fighter out there the veteran the, mm-hmm. the more explosive uh just picking the better shots more elusive uh silva just looked really flat from from jump street but one gorgeous well-timed check hook changed everything mm-hmm. and Tavares never recovered from that so credit to no. Bruno for, for not letting off the hook, man. That was uh, that was fun. That was a lot of yeah. fun. Silva's one of those dudes where like he can be doing everything wrong, but he lands one bomb, then he's gonna like all he has to do is hurt you once a little bit. And if you're a little bit hurt, he's gonna pounce on you and you're gonna be a lot hurt. And I mean, Brad Tavares, you know, he's gone through most of his career being hard to hurt. But every now and then he has one one of these fights where somebody can just tune him up a little bit and it, it all goes to hell. Edmund Shabazian did it. Robert Whitaker did it. Tim Boach did it. And uh, now Bruno Silva did it too. Yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, it was I I could not pick Silva going into this after watching him lose to Mearshart the way he did. Like if he would have just went out and like got submitted by Mearshart, whatever. But he got yeah, he almost got knocked out by Mearshart. He got yeah, exactly. Mearshart. He got tuned. Um, he got tuned up on the feet by G- GM three. I'm just gonna say it. Like yeah, that so was it, that was not a good fight for Silva in any way. So for him to come out here and do this, I mean, that's that's badass, man. I mean, MMA math too. GM three better than Brad Tavares, right? Better striker. Naturally, gotta be. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's the fight we got to book next too, because it's not like GM three didn't also just go get knocked out by some power hitter Joe by Pfeiffer. Joe Pfeiffer. So we got oh. We got to do Joe Pfeiffer versus Bruno Silva and Brad Tavares versus Gerald Mearshart, right? Dude, sometimes the fights make themselves. Yeah. Man, yeah. Silva and Pfeiffer, holy shit. Ooh, that's like a featured prelim if I've ever seen one. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I was thinking about match like Silva. Oh, he's, you know, he got this big win. He should be climbing up the division a little higher. What should he, you know, should it be like somebody like John Young Park or something like that? It's too bad that they just did, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who just dropped to welterweight, um, from with the, ba- about, the spinning uh, back kick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking uh, Buckley. Uh, Buckley. Right, 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 right. It's too bad, you know, I'm thinking it's too bad. Buckley dropped to welterweight just now, all that kind of stuff. What do you do with Bruno Silva next? But like Joe Pfeiffer beating GM three, that lines him up perfect for Bruno Silva because Bruno Silva couldn't beat GM three. No, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I'm here for that fight. So book it, book it, Zane. Good yeah, man, make, they, make your calls. You know, I'm getting on the phone with Joe Silva right now, and he'll be like, "Dude, I haven't worked for the UFC for like five years. What are you doing, calling me again?" And page I'll just hit. Yeah, you got to page him. Hit him on the on the beep. That's right. Throw the nine one one out there. He'll know. He'll know it's serious. Yeah, I'll throw. I'll throw up the little tiny angry bat symbol. Like you know, it's just a a very short angry. You just see like the top of his head in the skylight in, in the light up in the sky is just the top of somebody's head. <laughs> 
Or maybe a fighter picking him up and spinning him around like a small child. He always loved that. We need Chris Reaney to uh, immortalize Joseph in a cartoon. I don't think I've seen it in his collection yet. Yeah, he's got I mean, he's got to have had one, but it's it's really we're past the era. It's too bad we lost something when when Joe when Joe stepped out of the game. We lost a lot of anger and somebody that that all the fighters could really hate, which I feel like we don't have that in the UFC anymore. The fighters, they all really seem to at least if they don't love the UFC executives, they've learned that they they shouldn't say so in public. Fighters really just hated Joe Silva and that was always, you always felt it. Yeah, and um, I mean, he was the king of MMA irony. Yeah. Like, he was always making weird matches, like first, you know, same last name or same first name or just, just, just so the most trivial matchmaking for the silliest reasons. I mean, there was a dude that fought the other day. I saw on one of the, the smaller cards, I think it was on one of the Bellator cards this week. His name is Bobby King. You know Silva oh, would have yeah, signed yeah. Bobby King tomorrow. He actually, he actually just lost to fight Bobby. <laughs> to, to fight now just King, not even Bobby Green. It's just King. Yeah, Bobby King, King. King versus King. Let's jump over to that fight, by the way. Bobby Green, Jared Gordon, now King versus Gordon officially. Because this fight, it was uh, this fight and he retired. He retired the name. Um. Now he's just like Prince. That's, you know. Or Sting. And Sting, yeah. Prince, And the, the, the other Sting from wrestling? That's Yeah. Much more close to the other Sting. Uh, but King, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate saying that. It's really weird. Uh, taking on Jared Gordon. And so uh, you, you don't have to start right now. You can save it till next time. No, no, no. He officially retired it after the fight. It would be really okay. inconsiderate of me to not okay. honor his wishes. Um, but King, he, uh, Jared Gordon was doing pretty good in this fight, honestly, up until the point that he got headbutted so hard that it knocked him silly. I had him winning the fight, honestly, up until that point. He was landing just. Fantastic counter punches for no no yeah. reason at all. Like what he was countering doing? in combination every time Green would step in on something, and he was uh, you know in what was a really bad night for Dominic Cruz. Generally, uh, Cruz did point out well that he was having a lot of success going from the body to the head uh, in that fight and setting up his counter combinations that way. And, you know, it was just, it, it was a solid performance from Gordon all over. Uh, not not a bad fight from him. And then he got headbutted really hard. And I'm just glad that the refs made the right decision in the cage. Like they, you know, they had um, the commentary. Oh, the, the, the announcer was just about to say Bobby Green, Bobby Green winner by TKO. And they, they pulled him aside. Like, they had a huddle. The commission called a huddle and was like, you know what? They're just going to appeal this. It's going to – you want to give up a Saturday? You want to give up a Tuesday morning for this? I don't think so. Let's go ahead and just change it now. And I'm not sure – I haven't seen this happen very often. This is pretty rare that you'll you'll get something changed in the moment like that. Um, you know, I, especially after such a brutal finish because i mean he went down from the headbutt and then green pounced on him with some nasty ground and pound and just put him out cold uh also if this were a left way fight that would have been a would have been a win for bobby green that's right he needs to change well, up his sport there's no ground and pound in left way but still there, there should be yeah <laughs> oh did you see that uh in that that boxing freak show fight where the dude knocked the guy out and then like stood over him and punched him while he was unconscious yes yeah, uh, that was that was at the uh, what's that thing the called? X series. The, yeah, the X series on da- the Daz and X series. We we've grabbed a bunch of people who barely know how to box, and we've put them all in the boxing ring, and we've convinced you all that because they're celebrities in other areas, you should be paying for incredibly low level amateur boxing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was it was uh it was disturbing. Yeah. Chase the Moore, that's the guy's name. It, yes. 
it was a fantastic knockout too. It's it's a shame. Mm-hmm. Kind of full meathead and blanked. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, Bobby Green, Jared Gordon. What do you think? Should we run? Should they run it back? I mean, I kind of feel like this is a fight that I would not have ever picked to want to see twice. But this was the absolute most unsatisfying way for it to go with Gordon actually doing really well and then getting headbutted. Where now I'm just like, well, I have to see it again now. I got the same feeling I got after he fought Patty Pimlet. Like, he's got to stop with the weirdness. Like, he's bitten. I don't know. He's, he did something somewhere. He's got bad juju. Right? Yeah. Like, did he, do you think he beat Patty Pimlet? Gordon? Uh, yeah. I thought I thought he would have gotten the decision over Patty Pimblet. I did not care enough about the fight and the way he fought it to want to argue that he won the fight. That's fair. Either way, you know, he was in that, you know, really close decision. Now he's getting headbutted and then knocked unconscious. That's, he's in a bad way, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For him. Yeah, he, that knockout looked actually pretty bad. Really did. Uh, especially with the ref letting him take five or six more unanswered shots after uh, it just was, you know, the ref did a bad job stepping in on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, I, part of me wants to see this run back, but like if Green, you know, Green was in the cage, he was like, let's just do it right now. I'm like, can you look at this man that you just knocked out? You're not doing this right now. What are you talking yeah. about, Bobby? Uh, sure, why not? Because what else are you going to do with him? Yeah, the only other thing I could think of, honestly, I was looking up and down the lightweight division, and the only other thing that jumped out to me would be, like, run back his fight with Drakkar close, maybe. Because mm. that's a fight I didn't think Green lost. And he's just kind well. of sitting there treading water in the middle of the lightweight division, and so close. So maybe you do that again, but... He's made he he's got so many fights like that where you know yeah. maybe he won maybe he didn't that was like his mo for the longest time just getting it really was. decisions but you it run really it back is. yeah you run this back it really does seem like the best decision all right that brings us to a women's flyweight bout Yasmin Lucindo Brogan Walker and this was. Just, uh, I mean, Brogan Walker doesn't, shouldn't be there, you know? Not even a little bit. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even fun for me. Like, no. if you're that much better than your opponent, finish them. Yeah. I'll Lucindo really, she seemed like she was so gun shy about the potential of, like, of walking into a step knee or of walking into a counter shot where she she wasn't willing to wade in, but every time she did, every time she showed a little bit of aggression, she just wrecked Brogan Walker. It's, you know, it's just like, what do you... You got to find your own confidence to be aggressive in there. You can't go hammer and tongs with Yasmin Haragui in your debut and then go out there and be like, eh, Brogan Walker, maybe I'll take... Maybe I'll step back on this one. Maybe I'll let this one be a little, you know, be a little more cautious here. Probably just the step up back up to flyweight got to her a little bit, maybe, but uh the ultimate fighter really I think we can say firmly with both Muhammad Usman and Brogan Walker on this, the ultimate fighter is not finding UFC level talent. No, 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 no. Um the ultimate fighter, I mean, it's um it's Transformers. I always say this. It's just a it's a money making scheme that the UFC does. You know, you never you will not ever see a true top prospect come up through the Ultimate Fighter anymore. Never again. Not going to happen. They'll send them straight to the Contender Series until they're ready for the UFC, and, and that's the new uh, standard operating procedure. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw it was it was fascinating because uh, Zach Pauga who Muhammad Usman beat in the finals of his season, the Ultimate Fighter, last season, Ultimate Fighter. He chimed in. I, I can't remember if I started the thread or if somebody else started it and I was in it, but he he jumped in there on Twitter. Because it's just like, you know, if it, if you're a young fighter, why would you ever 
go through the Ultimate Fighter over the Contender Series anymore. All you got to do on the Contender Series is win one fight and you get a contract, and it's only going to be like a three-fight contract. Whereas if you go through the Ultimate Fighter, you got to win like two, three fights. And I think, yeah, I think it's three total, three fights total for most seasons. And then you're locked into like a 10-fight stepping contract in 2k increments from like you know fifteen thousand dollars to thirty thousand dollars i can see some benefit in it if you know you're you're not a world beater but you have some talent but what you really have is a following and you use the platform just to get your followers up and and spread your influence and you know get sponsorships and deals and try to you know, capitalize that way, then okay. If you're going to try to just make it about the brand, your personal brand, sure. But yeah, but even you know, then, selling just... hopes and dreams that, you know, the ultimate fighter is the way to the UFC, it's like, yeah, the way. Yeah. It's yeah, like but... a shot at the short notice routine. Yeah, it, it was, it was interesting because Pauga, he was like, oh, you go to the, I went to the ultimate fighter because if I go through and if I win, I'm guaranteed to get a contract. And if I go to Dana White's Contender Series and I win, I'm not guaranteed. And it's just like, okay, I know the, I know that's a sales pitch of the Contender Series, but you guys really got to look at the numbers here because 95% of the winners from the past two or three seasons have got, a, got to the UFC. Like, you really have to be bad. You really have to do bad on the contender series to not get a fight or a contract yeah, off a win. Yeah. And I'm sure losing on the contender series is probably what gets you in that short list for the short notice fights. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when they call seen, someone, they need somebody cheap and quick. Boom. You're on their radar at that point. If you put together a fun fight on the contender series and you lost, they, those guys get call-ups too. Like they are, the contender series is the UFC's primary talent mine at this point. Yeah. As you put it, uh, you know, the, the ultimate fighter is just a franchise thing right now. So people like Brogan Walker Sanchez, you know, or Brogan Walker, that is not a good mark. Uh, you know, Juliana Lima or Juliana. Um, oh, Smith. Now, who is it? What's her name? I don't even remember. See, this is why the branding thing. Juliana Miller. There we go. Juliana Miller, who who beat Brogan Walker, like she just got owned by Veronica Hardy, who was like a basement level talent before she took three years off due to concussions. She looked better in that fight, but yeah. Anyway, we'll have to wait about Jeremiah Wells, Matthew Semmelsberger. Oh, and this this fight pained me. This this was really <laughs> painful in particular. I'm I'm not a jujitsu guy. I'm not gonna go out here and pretend like, oh, I've spent a lot of time. I know how jujitsu works, yada yada yada. Really say you take me as, you know, a a, a solid nugi. At least I can see you in the spats and the rash guards. Uh- well, the spats are rather fetching. I, I might wear spats <laughs> around. Yeah, there's that. But I'm not going to pretend to be a jujitsu guy. But I will say, and I'm just going to be be the ass on this, the un, the un, the untutored ass. Matthew Semmelsberger's jujitsu coaches really need to take a hard look in the mirror and ask themselves what they're doing with this kid, because. Going straight to closed guard every time Jeremiah Wells got a takedown on him. Like, who's teaching him to do that? Why are they teaching him to do that in MMA? What could the possible purpose have been to get this kid to default to closed guard every time he gets taken down? What I saw was, well, you mean as opposed to trying just to immediately stand up or scramble or get feet on the hips to get your hips high. I mean, there was a point where he actually like tried to transition up to a triangle or something like that. Yeah. Several times actually. So he was trying to set up the triangle. You saw him grabbing the wrist 
and yeah. throwing his legs up. Um, but even so, doing that, and, like the, the closed guard just doesn't seem like the start of that. You know, maybe it's just ingrained in who he is. Like he's just taught you know, if you get taken down, immediately get to your, your closed guard because it's safer than being in half guard mounted or, you know, bottom of side control. So it's kind of the safest place to be if you're going to be on your back. And maybe he doesn't feel comfortable in the scrambles. Yeah, just but that's who just... he is. It's such a basic MMA meta of the game at this point that, like, you can't just be stuck on your back in guard. You you are going to be losing if you're doing that. Guys are too good. They're too good for you to be playing a, a bottom guard game from a closed guard. Nobody wins that way. Right. You know? No, it's tough. It's, it's tough because... I'm glad this fight played out the way it did because I was really curious how the judges were going to score it, right? You Mm -hmm. had Simplesberger scores an early knockdown in the first, right? I mean, he's kicking the pants off this dude. Second round scores another knockdown, right? But in both rounds, he gets taken down and just owned control ground. Ate a lot of ground and pound in the first, not so much in the second, but still got completely controlled outside of when he was actually doing the damage. So damage... You know, in terms of damage, he did more damage in the first and the second round. So I can see them rounds being scored for him. But also, he didn't do shit after that in those rounds and got owned in the third on the ground. So, yeah. I, I mean, I could. How do you yeah. score this? Like, you're not I, wrong. I, however, you slice it. Yeah. I scored it for Wells. I scored the first round for Wells. I thought he got hurt really badly. And you could give the fight that round to Semmelsberger, but he also rallied and he did a lot of work on top. Not just a little, a lot. Landed a Mm -hmm. lot of elbows, a lot of punches, a lot of ground and pound. Stats, uh, let me see here what we got with Wells on stats for that round. He had three minutes and 30 seconds of top control in that round. And he landed, he's credited with landing like, you know, 35 of 69 strikes total in that, which I'm going to say probably at least 20 of those are ground and pound shots. So to me, I am happy to give Wells that. I figured the judges would give him that round. I figured they would see that amount of control, that amount of damage from top and be even like, okay, you got stung, but you rallied back hard, so I can't say you were badly hurt. And you beat this guy up, you know? But in the second round, yeah. In the second round, he got hurt, and then he got on top, and he did a little. But mostly he just controlled Semmelsberger. And so I gave that round to Semmelsberger. And then you got the, the third round where Semmelsberger just shit the bed. And that's not hard to score. So right. I gave the fight to what I gave the fight to Wells on that criteria. I felt there's a strong argument to give Semmelsberger both the first two rounds, but you can't turn around and be like, oh, Semmelsberger got robbed. Semmelsberger robbed himself. You know, exactly. it's, that, exactly. it's that meme of the kid with the boot. You see the boot stepping on the child's head and then like they, they zoom out and it's the kid with his arm in the boot, pressing it to his own head. Like, right. Yeah, Semmelsberger is 100% to blame for his own loss here. It's wild, man. With how athletic he is, I mean, you would think he would be a much better scrambler. Yeah. At least from his, from his back. He's a good scrambler when he's not on his back. And when he, when he did scramble, it worked really well for him against Wells. Like when he, when he scrambled, he got right back to his feet. When he took yeah. his guard and stopped having an open guard and would just kick off – he would create think, a good scramble. I think we're also underselling just how fucking strong Wells is. Right? Yeah. You've got this yeah, Hulk on top of you. I mean, I'm not getting up if he's on top of me. There you know was a mean? point that probably is more indicative of of Wells' strength than Semmelsberger's terrible decision-making, but is indicative of both, I'll say, where Semmelsberger was up on his knees and Wells had him in a front headlock and rather than get up and fight the headlock, Semmelsberger just rolled back to his back on the mat. 
Yeah. And that's probably indicative of just how strong and scary Jeremiah Wells is, that he felt the pressure of that and was like, I, I'm not going to stand up into this. And also just to the decision-making of what well, maybe you should have tried anyway. You know, maybe you should take that gamble because the gamble you took instead just kept you losing. This was oddly fun for me, though. I, I enjoyed it. It was interesting for a metagame thing because you, you, we really were getting to right. the final bell and being like, what is going to happen? How are the judges going to score this? So in that way, it was interesting. For, from a, a coaching perspective, like I say, you know, on the one hand, Jeremiah Wells' striking coach has got to be like, man, I, I think in that case, it's just got to be like, man, this guy's been impossible to teach how to strike. And for Semmelsberger's jiu-jitsu coaches, you got to be asking yourself, like, are we teaching this guy to close his guard all the time? Because if we are, we should probably stop doing that. Yeah, maybe. Could be. I don't know. It's a tough. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Christos Giagos, Ricky Glenn. It's never, I mean, we could argue it's not still never happened. But it had never happened before. Ricky Glenn now has a knockout loss on his record. And Christos Giagos, he, he, he didn't actually face plant, face plant. He felt like he was going to face plant. And then at the last minute, he landed on like his elbow to the side. And he immediately started kind of coming to and making moves like he was okay. But the refs was stepping in. The refs saw the face plant fall. And he was stepping in before Glenn even hit the ground. And once you're doing that, it's it's pretty hard to like reverse your decision and be like, oh, actually, you're okay. Like he's already in in between them by the time Glenn is on the mat. I thought it was a perfect stoppage. I don't need I, to see Glenn get put completely out. And I mean, he, he got caught. He got caught. He did. Christos Giagos is about the last dude I would have expected to catch him. That's Giagos's first knockout loss since 2016. Knockout win, I mean. Or knockout win since 2016, yeah. And, you know, so would would Giagos have been the dude to just follow up and put him away? I don't know. If 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 you're Glenn, you're going to be thinking that, that is going to haunt you for years. Yeah, you know. I thought it was a good stoppage. Like when he was talking to the ref, you could see he's still pretty out of it. I thought it was a good stoppage. I'm not saying he didn't get hurt. I'm just saying that Glenn is gonna Glenn is gonna be convinced to the end of his days that had the ref had the ref not stepped in, he would have rallied. Oh sure. I mean, yeah. there's a laundry list of fighters who have died sure. on single legs. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm just, I don't blame him because, like I said, Giagos, not a great finisher. He got caught. Who knows? The ref ref made the snap decision. I can't even say it was the wrong decision because the way he was falling, it looked like he was going to face plant. It looked like he was going to fall face down, out. And the fact that, you know, he kind of fell on his side and snapped too right away. eh, You know, that's. That's the after effect. If you're going to make the decision as a ref, then you've made the decision. You can't really unmake. Uh, nothing is worse than seeing a ref step in between two fighters, like he's going to stop the fight, and then be like, "Oh, actually, you know, maybe, maybe you keep going, keep going, see what happens." It's like it's you, first. <laughs> you stepped in there. You got to call it. You've got to. Yeah. That's so the hard job. Yeah, that's the hard job of being a ref is you got to make the flash decision in the moment and then you got to stand by it. Because if you go back and you just start waffling all the time, you know, if the commission comes to you and they're like, oh, yeah, Ricky Glenn's appealing this stoppage. And you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe you like who wants who wants you as a ref next time? Right. You know, well, probably a lot of people, if they can pressure you into Which, yeah. <laughs> changing your mind. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, what you know, what what fighting organization wants wants the waffling oh, ref? Exactly. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout: Montel Jackson, Hania, Ronnie Yaya. I always forget he's the Brazilian who who uses the R. Ronnie Yaya, <laughs> and uh, no doubts on this one. 
Ronnie Yaya just he just got pieced up, knocked out. Yeah, I mean he looked like a, an old man out there. Yeah, <laughs> he just looked the hair thinning, salt the, and pepper you know, in the hair. Yeah, he's got that body that look. It's the tanning old man body where it's like you're tan and you're in shape, but there's more skin than muscle there now. Yeah, you know, it looks like it, it looks like some of these old Navy SEALs that I sail with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like they got the leather skin, and it's not as tight as it used to be. Hard as nails, still, but salty you know. dogs, salty yeah. dogs. But yeah, man, Jackson did what that Jackson should have done here. Good on him. Yeah, this was a great fight from him. And, uh, you no, know, it was, they, it was great to see him not even entertain the grappling. Yeah. Not even because. And, and just to take the first chance he gets too, because that's been a problem for Jackson in the past that he'll just kind of, he's slick, he's fast, he's got good technique, but he'll just kind of let opportunities slide by him in fights where you'd be like, why, why didn't, why didn't you jump on it? You're way better than this dude. You know, why Why did you go to a decision with Felipe Calarish or J.P. Bays, you know, who you dropped like four times in that bout? So this was good to see him just, you know, uh, Yaya overstepped on one combination and Jackson was right there on him to knock him out. Yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful performance. I'm kind of, I mean, they got to start pushing this guy up towards the top 15 at this point. I'm thinking maybe a fight with Jonathan Martinez. Ooh, man. Martinez yeah. is so good. That's an interesting matchup. And Montella, he brings such a, a unique a challenge to whoever he uh-huh. faces. Like just his physical gifts, such an obstacle, you know. Yeah, yeah, but and, I agree. I think start pushing him towards the top. I think Yaya was a good step, right? That yeah. uh, old school veteran who's who has a particular skill set that's super dangerous. And this was like a five Q test for Montel. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because either that or somebody like Mario Batista or somebody. I mean, you could do Davy Grant too. Just somebody who's like right there at the, an action fighter right there at the edges of the top 15 where if you win that bout then everybody's like oh yeah no you got to start facing ranked dudes exclusively mm-hmm. he's fun he is he's a lot of fun and it's taken him you know it's taken him a while to kind of get his game to really click all over uh but now he's 30 he's been at this 6 years everything just seems like it's right there in the right place he's at his prime you know get this guy big fights that brings us to a woman's featherweight bout. Norma Dumont, Carol Hosa, and what what are we doing with this? Like, what what a what the mm. hell is Carol Hosa doing? Because she was fine at bantamweight, and featherweight's a dead zone. And then she thought that not fighting Norma Dumont for 12 minutes was the way to win i don't know and the moment the moment carol was like oh maybe i should actually punch this lady and throw a few hands she started lighting her up yeah i would say two and a half rounds of this crash yeah <laughs> i was bored out of my skull like this was painful i mean like, and that's the first round that's the way Norma Dumont always fights. She's always the super slow-paced, super patient. You know, the technique and the speed is there, but it's one strike every, you know, 45 seconds. Kind oh, of she's She's got the, the rapid fire of a musket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is, it's painful, you know. I, I, I don't want to say I'm glad she got dropped in the third, but... You know, it at least made made the match exciting and, and gave us some at least some remarkable to take away from it. Yeah, I just don't know what's going on with a. I mean, why the UFC is playing around with this featherweight division? They don't care about it. They don't sign anybody for it. They don't do anything with it. it you know, it, what's the point of having these fights? They don't help anybody. 
but I'm more worried to see like Hosa opened up like she and she and Laura Procopio, I think they set like a bantamweight record. You know, they threw like 600 strikes in their bout, landed over 300 combined in their bout. And then she had another volume war where she just went out and put it on Vanessa Mello, threw 289 strikes, landed 177. You know, and then she had a little bit of an off fight where she beat Jocelyn Edwards. It was slower paced, but then she bounced right back against Betch Cohea and threw 219 strikes, landed 145, landed 62% of her significant strikes. And everything since then, that Sarah McMahon fight, that Lena Landsberg fight, this Norma Dumont fight, she's just looked gun shy. And she just looks like she doesn't know what she wants to do out there. And it took forever for her to step it up against Norma Dumont. And the moment she did, it was just like, oh, why aren't you doing this? What is, what was the, what was the hesitation here that you have not had before? So just sucked. Yeah, man, we spent too much time on this. We did. We did. Let's move on. Talk about a, the Muhammad Usman Jr. Tafa fight. And, I, I get to, at least if I got other fights on this card wrong, at least I get to feel good about this. Because my call straight down the line was that Junior Tafa is probably going to land a bunch of hard shots on Muhammad Usman in round one. They'll both get really tired. And then Muhammad Usman will just grab him and grind on him for two rounds for the win. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's man. Precisely what happened. Muhammad Usman, man, he's got that Yoel Romero toughness. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how he survived out there in that first round. That fight I mean, could have probably been stopped by the rest. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's never been knocked out, and you can see why. Like, the dude's head is made of concrete. He's, unfortunately, the whole rest of his body appears to be made of concrete, too, because the dude, he has got to be the stiffest fighter I have ever seen in my entire life. He makes Brogan Walker look like, you know, a water dancer out there. She's out there looking like a looking like a damn acrobat next to Muhammad Usman. <laughs> It, it does parallel uh, the like early two thousands UFC steroid era, you know, yes. where it was just it was just any kind of bodybuilder that looks like a, a wrestler get in there and very stiff, yeah, absolutely. Get the man, like you know, get the man an oil can. He's out there, like the like the damn Tin Man out there. Get him on the, you know. Get him on the yellow brick road path. There's your there's your reference to date me five hundred years. You definitely insane. But yeah, no, Muhammad like, credit to him. Molly, I know. I know. Yeah, she's it's, mad it's too. Tough. It's it's tough, you know. But well, you know, if you can't get up, you can't get up. Yeah. No, I mean I I got no yeah, I got nothing wrong with Muhammad Usman winning. I mean, he he could have, I could have made. There's an argument to made to be made that he didn't win even one round of this fight. <laughs> he did get rocked at the end of the third. Yeah, so. he literally got rocked in every round. There's an argument to be made that he did not win one round, but at the same time, like you also just put in like a four and oh four and one kickboxer junior tafa you threw him in here it's just what what is the ufc knows how bad these tough fighters that they're bringing in are that's the only thing that you can to your 10 man reference uh, usman man he is so stiff that you know sometimes it looks like he's rocked when he's not even rocked he's just reacting to a bunch and he's like he looks wobbly but he's it's it, the punch didn't even land, and you're like, "What are you he, doing?" He looked like he was fighting in a bouncy castle out there. The way he would like hop with his head down and like his arms just sort of like moving up and down and out at his sides. He, he was fighting in an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, it was. 
it was really ridiculous. And I don't know what to, get him get him, you know what? We all thought the man was a joke, but get him Conor McGregor's e- movement e- coach e- too. Eo Portel, who was his Yeah, name? get him e- Portel e- out there. Get him some touch butt in the park. He could <laughs> he could absolutely use the limbering up. Yeah, no kidding. Man. Get him some bar A classes. All right. Uh, I will say this though, because I had I knew if Tafa just got to his feet, he might have he might get the knockout. So the fight kept me engaged, even oh, yeah, though yeah, yeah. was only controlling. Like it still kept me on the edge of my seat the whole time. It was fun in a totally ridiculous. I don't know why you're having this level of fight in your organization kind of way. It was, you know, it's like watching a Pudzon fight or something like that at the top of a KSW card where you've got like a bunch of really cool, fun, awesome fighters. And then you have Pudzon fighting like a Polish r- rapper w- who tattoos his eyes. <laughs> this was that kind of fight. Uh, sure. I would uh, more of like a one, a one kind of feel, I would say. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have any of the actual theatrics that KSW brings to the table. Yeah. But anyway, that brings us to a catchweight. William Gomes. Francis Marshall, and uh, this was this was a hard wake-up day for Francis Marshall. This is one of those things where, you know, a young prospect who's relentlessly aggressive, I love to see it, but there's always going to be like a you've put technique behind your – as second to aggression, there will be a wake-up call for you someday. And I wouldn't have picked this car, this fight to be the fight to make that happen, but this was it. This was the wake-up call for Francis Marshall that you made being te- you made being aggressive a priority before you made being technical a priority. And Gomi's just confused the hell out of him. Yeah, he well he can conf- he commanded the range is what he did. Yeah, uh, the man, the guy was. He- he was missing left and right. Marshall, he just couldn't hit anything. Like he mm-hmm. might have one of the, he might have set a record for, um, for most missed strikes. Like, that percentage has got to be abysmal. Yeah, it was. He was credited with he threw a hundred and sixty-five strikes, hundred and thirty-two significant strikes, landed fifteen of them. Yeah, landed at eleven percent. You got Holly Holm looking at him like, "Damn, dude!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. You, you, you've got a, you, yeah, you, you got a blonde fighter out there. What's her name? Oh, you're not going to help me with blonde fighter, Who, really? Chukagian, Chukagian, okay. Caitlin Chukagian, blonde fighter. That's her nickname. It's terrible, oh, but. Is it? Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, there's that's like one of those Sherlock things. It's like now that I know it, hopefully as soon I I, I yeah. forget it or Yeah, you can forget it immediately cuz you don't ever need to know that. But yeah, Caitlin Chukagi and Holly Holm are definitely out there laughing at him on the sidelines. Yeah, it's, that's tough. But it's tough cuz like his coaches have obviously emphasized be aggressive, go forward. You got to, you know, stay on people throughout his his early career. And they've done that at the expense of footwork and at the expense of technical striking. And so he went out there and he tried to just be aggressive with Gomez and Gomez just sidestepped him. And then it's just like, well, what are you going to do? And Marshall had no answer to that at all. Yeah. Rough night at the office for him, man. Couldn't get a stretch going. Especially, especially, especially because once Marshall did figure out how to be functional with his his like aggression and get a takedown, he started wrecking Gomes on the ground, and it really is just like, man, maybe you know, all you need to do is get a little bit of functionality lined up with your footwork, because you didn't have to lose this fight, right? A lot of potential though, in in Marshall, both of them, honestly. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, I mean, he almost won the fight, right? Like one judge gave him, gave him, gave it to him. So, yep. It wasn't total loss. It wasn't a total loss, but it was a fight where it's just like, you know, 
it's you got to you got to learn from this. You got to learn to function to to functionally prioritize your footwork, to functionally prioritize your strike selection, to be something other than just aggressive. Because aggression alone, you're gonna end up walking around chasing somebody down, not getting anything done. You're gonna aggression alone gets you back on the regional scene where that style belongs. Yeah. All right, that brings us finally to a bantamweight bout: Brady Highstand, Dana Batjuriel, and um, I was picking Batjuriel coming into this. Judges gave him more than I did. Uh, I thought Highstand might have won the first round because he dropped Batjuriel right at the end of it, but judges actually scored both the first two rounds for Batjuriel, and. Um, then he just kind of stopped fighting. Yeah, he did. He, it, it was weird. It's like, I don't know if he petered out. Like, was it a gas thing? But that, that weird kind of, maybe he was just so fatigued and Brady wasn't because it was it was that Diaz kind of punching. It was, you know, they weren't the hardest strikes in the world, but they were nonstop and they were adding up. And if you're a referee, you've got a guy turtled up on all fours, just eating the punches and they're not really doing nothing. You can't just let that go on. Like this is a sport. No. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 but even before that, Batchereel was losing that whole round. The, the booth was terrible in this. They're talking about like, Oh yeah, Batchereel, you know, he's got the cleaner technique and all that high stand needs to figure that out. It's like high stands just kicking him and punching him. He's just winning. Yeah. You know, I, I go look at the stats yeah. for that round. And even if I, you know, even looking at you know, not the total strikes, which would include the ground and pound, but just the significant strikes, Batchel outlanded, or uh, Highstand outlanded Batchel 26 to 10. He was, it was 71 to 10 if you count total strikes. But just in yeah, terms was, of. He was tuning him in that third round. Yeah. Like he was. Denad did not show up in that last round at all, well before he he got put on the mat and ate all those other strikes. So Yeah, I wonder if he felt like he had it in the bag and was coasting, or if he was just shot, like he just I don't know. gassed out, and the guy in front of him just has endless cardio. To, I'm, which is wild because High Stand does not have endless cardio. He has gassed horribly in his other fights. and He had an endless gas tank tonight, man. Yeah, this this was great for him. This is a great show up for him. On that note, he has gassed hard in other fights. He has gotten caught by left hook or by big punchers in other fights. He he lost to Chad and Hellinger via knockout late in their fight. So for him to go out there with Batchereel, eat some big shots, uh, with or Dana, I guess is actually his last his his surname, um, or his family name, but. For him to go out there with Danab, eat some big shots, get hurt, and rally back and win, that's huge for Highstand because that's not definitely not what he's always been able to do. On that note, we will be back with some bonus content on our Substack exclusively. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, MusicBee, RSS Radio, IMDB, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, PodCruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, 
the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, Crooklyn's Corner, the sixth round retro, the Show Money podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, exclusive fighter interviews, and the return of the MMA Bunker.